Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Over the last few months and, and done this, you guys probably, you know, maybe you already do all this up on your own, or maybe you've been learning as you've been coming about how to use culture and media in the lives of your kids and interacting with them. Um, how many of you have seen The Hunger Games or have read the book? Can I see some hands? Okay, so it is definitely um, a pop culture movement or, or it's big right now. It's, it's the flavor of the day, I guess would be a way to say that. Uh, it's, we're actually a little behind the wave because it, it was about a month ago that everything came out and, and was kind of a big deal, and now it's died down quite a bit until the next movie comes out. Um, I don't remember if they're making three or four. I think they're doing four movies. I think they're splitting the last book into a couple movies. So it's going to be around for a while, and your kids are going to be interested in it, or they're going to know about it, or they're going to be talking about it. So it's, inter- it's important for you to think about it to some level or some degree. Um, I encourage you, when th- things like this pop up on the screen and it's the buzz, to at least see the movie or, or read the book, and then again, talk about it with your child, right? That's, that's what this is all about. So a lot of you have read the book or seen the movie. If you're going to talk about this with your child, what are you know what things popped out to you that you think would be would be great to uh, to point out or talk about with your kids? Somebody give me something. Y'all can raise, you know, we have have a little interaction here, so I'm not just the talking head. What's their worldview? What's their worldview? Okay, I mean that's really what the reason we do this, and this is important. Even this morning. Well, yeah, it's important to tell your kids why you talk about things, whether it's a TV show, a movie, a book, anything that you're instructing them on, talk to them about the why. Why do we do this? So there's a worldview, and even just this morning, I was riding with my daughter, and she made, she made a remark about, why do you have to dissect everything? <laughs> and I said, well, let's think about why. One reason is because all of the world is trying to shape how you view it. Everything that I said, all the TV shows you watch, every book you read, uh, every you know song you listen to, is shaping how you view the world. And the Bible is also trying to shape how you view the world, and the church is trying to shape how you view the world. And I said, which one of those gets more of your time? Okay, probably for most teenagers, and for most of us, if we're honest, right, we we spend an awful lot more time imbibing media than we do reading scripture. Okay, so which one, you know, just by volume, there's an awful lot of shaping going on in how we view the world based on media. And I said, so when that thing is happening, when that's happening, you've got to turn on your brain and don't just take it in. You've got to think about what are the messages that are being delivered. And that's an important concept. That's why you do it. It can get annoying. Unfortunately for me, I can't turn it off now. I watch everything with this filter and think through it all the time, because it's interesting to me to do that, though obviously you probably tell by the way we do this every, every time. But so what are the themes or things that have popped out to you? Because you can use it not only, here's I think our tendency as parents is we want to point out the bad things. There's incredible good things in pop culture media that we can use as well as illustration. Okay, so what are good or bad themes that you've, that you've seen in the worldview 
or worldviews that are being presented. Okay, certainly you've got a very negative situation of, of violence. I mean, even if you saw the movie, the, the, the book's incredibly cold at times, right? Of, uh, of it's striking even how they can kill with impunity. And, and then the, even the scene at the beginning when they jump off the, the dioceses and run, boy, it's really, I mean, and even the, the filmmaker did a good job of not making it too gory or anything, but it was still, still a powerful scene. So that's, that's disturbing to say the least. Okay, when it comes to Christ figures, there's actually several figures in this book that you could point out. Um, I actually feel, I mean, Katniss is definitely, she's someone who's willing to sacrifice herself for another. Uh, you think of Peta and Gail, though. Uh, the, and if you haven't read the book, I'm sorry, Peta and Gail, there's kind of the love interests here. Uh, both of those guys are in love with Katniss. I'm sorry, this is spoiler alert. I do need to say this, okay? Spoiler alert, if you plan on reading the book, now you'll just be better armed, but I might let some things out, okay? And I, and I may even talk about book two or three a little bit, so I'll try not to spoil anything too important. I won't tell you the ending, okay? But, but these two figures, Gail, the, the guy on the right, he, or you're right, yeah, he's, he's not in the first book that much. So he, he, he plays a more prominent role later on in the other two books. But those two figures seem to love Katniss anyway, very unconditionally. I mean, they are willing to give their life for her. They, they completely love her. And it is a great opportunity to talk about the gospel uh, in those figures and in, in saying, how, how is it possible that they can love so completely and, and just unabashedly? Okay, so that, that's a positive thing that you can point out. In fact, the, the, the idea of close friendship and self-sacrifice run through the whole book. Uh, all three books of characters that are very willing to to give of themselves for each other. And that's one of the beautiful themes in the book. Okay? Anybody else? Oh, okay. So what she said is the book is, implies on the back cover that our culture could end up like this down the road. I think it's interesting culture-wise, like if you look at the big picture, certainly it's a totalitarian regime that... Uh, is very brutal. It reminds you of like Hitler or Stalin. So I think it gives you an opportunity to talk about, even if you want to steer into this with your kids, into government, authority structures. Does the Bible have things to say about authority structures? Have Christians live under totalitarian regimes before? Do they now? Yes. I mean, there's, are there Christians suffering in other, other countries even now that suffer this type of, not where they're actually having games, but they did, you know, really a lot of this goes back uh, and I, again, I'm letting a little bit out in a later book, but uh, it's based on the Roman society of uh, bread and circuses, you know, that, that keep the people distracted through the entertainment. And it, it reminds you very much of the gladiators, right? And going back to, to societies that have existed in our world. So it's not a completely implausible thing that they would do this because there have been societies built around such things already in human history. Okay. Um, so we've got the Christ-like figure, we've got self-sacrifice, unconditional love, friendship, other themes, yes. Oh yeah, okay, Com compassion with Rue and her, her sister, of course. Uh, you definitely see a lot of compassion for the weak or the small, okay, which is a, is a good theme. Again, there are a lot of positive themes in the book, even though it's based on a very brutal uh, system. 
How is authority in general portrayed in the book? Corrupt, negative. Okay, the people in the capital are made to look kind of freakish and, and things like that. Even, it's interesting, and these are the more subtle things that it takes a while to get to the point where you're really dissecting these things. There's really not a positive adult portrayed in the book. So that's something that you need to point out. If your kids are reading it, say, hey, what, how are the adults portrayed? With the possible exception of Cinna, the, um, the, the stylist, okay? He doesn't really have a negative part, but he doesn't really have a very large part in the book in general, in the three books. He does, you know. So most, of course, it's a society, you know, that's focused on kids. It is children's literature for young adults, actually. It's written for kids. So that's something to keep in mind. But there's, there's almost no adult portrayed positively. Her mother is very weak. In fact, Katniss has to be strong, partly because her mother is so weak. Uh, her father died. Actually, her father is portrayed positively, too. There's nothing negative said about her dad, but he is dead. So um, you have to throw that in there. <laughs> kind of like a Disney film. You know, there's no Disney film that has both parents. Have you ever noticed that, too? That's another thing that kind of bothers me. Um, always one of the parents is, is gone. See, see, I, I can't turn it off. I'm sorry. Um, all right, you've got uh, evil. I mean, even evil in the world and how it's portrayed Evil exists in the world, right? But the worldview that the world tends to push at us is that everyone's got some good in them. I think there's some serious evil characters in the book that could be pointed out, and you could even talk about the fall and talk about sin nature, okay? I mean, that, that could be something that you could talk about. Uh, revenge is a major theme in the book. Uh, it goes through all three books. There's, there's a revenge factor. It doesn't play as much in the first book, but it will in the next two, okay? So that's something... Uh, that the Bible has a lot to say about um, manipulation, using people, is definitely uh, a part of a theme that it runs through the book to some degree or another. Self-reliance, and it's interesting because there's Katniss is torn throughout the, throughout the books and the movie where she wants to rely on people and then she has to be self-sufficient, right? Because she ha- thinks she has to kill everybody except her, but then she has then she also relies on people and people rely on each other. So that is something um, that would be interesting, even interesting if you compared and contrasted that idea with Christian community, okay? As a Christian, we want to be self-reliant, but that's kind of dangerous uh, for us and how they're stronger when they bond together. Uh, That's a part of that that you can bring into it. Uh, I think materialism is another main theme, especially in regards to the capital. Uh, Materialism and outward appearance, are things that the cap- people of the capital are completely obsessed with. And it is not shown in a positive light. In fact, it's taken to the ultimate freakish uh, niche of it. So it's kind of like if you had materialism and obsession with the way you look taken to the highest level it possibly could, that's how it's portrayed in the book. And I think that is really fascinating to point out. It doesn't show that in a positive light at all. In fact, that's constantly contrasted. Uh, with what's right, is not to be obsessed with things like that. So I think, you know, all of this to say, there's a, there's a lot going on here um, that you could discuss. Uh, again, Katniss is your, we talked about this several parent years ago, about how women 
warriors is the theme these days, right? Every TV show, there is a mat, there's a, I don't even know how to describe it, but women are being elevated to a level where they're the hero in almost every movie, action movie, whatever. And that is, that is a trend that is continuing. Uh, obviously with this, although interesting, a lot of the male characters are portrayed very positively. Still the toughest one, the one everybody relies on, the, the hero is Katniss throughout the whole thing. Um, you know, there's more movies coming out this summer that are going to continue to push that. The Avengers is the anti one because it's based on comic books that's, that were in the 50s and 60s and 70s. So it has primary men characters. But the, um, there's a new Disney Pixar coming out, uh, Brave, I think is what it's called. And of course, the main hero is Girl once again. So uh, continue to see that theme coming out. Um, I do want to point something out. Even as, as we get into this, and to, to wrap this time up, again, um, this stuff is interesting. It's good for you to, to point out. It's good for you to train yourself and your kids to think through these themes and the messages that are being sent to them. They're not always going to be excited about talking about it, okay? That's something you have to keep in mind as you, as you go through this. Uh, Cammy took her small group. Uh, they had, most of them had read the book, very excited about seeing it, and they went and saw the movie and tried to discuss it, and they really didn't want to talk about it. They were like, hey, you're going to ruin the movie. It was just fun to watch, okay? Your kids are going to do that. They're going to say, hey, we don't really want to talk about it. I just want to be entertained, and sometimes that's okay. Uh, I think you need to show some grace and know when to do this, and even don't feel like you have to do it in like a sit down, hey, all right, now it's time to sit down and discuss the movie. It can be in a car ride later on and, you, and something comes up like suffering. And then you mention, hey, you know, suffering. Uh, you remember in the Hunger Games and you're just kind of winsomely weaving in themes from the book into everyday life. Okay, again, was main themes you're going to pick up as you come to Parent You is it's all about engaging your child's heart, right? And how you do that. And sometimes it's not a frontal assault, right, on, on your kids and, and what they're thinking so that we, we become annoying to them, right? A lot of it is just, hey, oh, okay, so sacrifice or uh, things like that. And then you can weave it in there in a way that, that is, uh, you know, more palatable for them, okay? Because my own kids, like I said, Tirza was complaining that why can't we just enjoy something? Sometimes that happens, and that's okay, all right? Um, we're going to move now to uh, Davon Stack. Come on up here, Davon. Uh, Davon is our, on our junior high staff, and he is the BRICS director. And excited to let him share a little bit about himself with you this morning. Thanks. Good morning. How are you? Um, my name is, like Jeff just said, my name is Davon Stack, and I'm the BRICS director here at Perimeter Church. I uh, just came on staff uh, well, almost two years ago. It was uh, July of 2010. And um, basically what I want to do right now is just kind of give you a, a quick bio of who I am, give you a little bit of my background, and then just tell you, just give you a quick shot of just of the bricks and what God has been doing uh, over the past two years. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, after graduating from high school in 1998, I decided to not go to, to Clemson and play football. I decided to go to Columbia International University, and uh, get myself ready for, um, for full-time vocational ministry. And uh, 
If you don't know the school, it's, uh, like I said, it's Columbia International University, CIU. If you've never heard of the school, um, you do know one of my classmates. She just won a bunch of Dove Awards and a Grammy, but I will not name drop. <clears throat> Lord, story. Um, so <laughs> I decided to go there, and in 2000, uh, my sophomore, no, hold on, my junior year, I uh, met this young lady named Tara, no, was it 2000? Yes, 2000. I began to, end of 2000, there we go. Uh, I met uh, my wife, uh, Tara. We ended up getting married in 2004. Um, but I graduated in 2002, had a double major of Bible and pastoral ministries, and uh, they said, well, you can finish off your minor in psychology if you come for another semester for one class. And I was like, no. So <laughs> I decided not to do that. But after the, literally the day after I graduated, um, I went off to Colorado for, um, to work with uh, Campus Crusade with Athletes in Action. And uh, it was, that is, I, I love it. It was a fantastic, fantastic time. I learned so much stuff about ministry and working with people. Um, uh, Lose my train of thought here. But anyway, so yeah, I started working with Athletes in Action. Uh, I start, and uh, that was basically my training time. I worked in Daytona and all that kind of stuff. But I was officially on the campus of the University of South Carolina. And like I just said, I was going to go to Clemson and play football. They're big rivals. And so uh, for a little while, it was a little tough. It was because it was just like, you know, I knew these guys and I loved these guys. And it was ministry and it was great. Um, but they were like, hey, you going to come to the games? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll come to the games. I went to the games and stuff. But it was really, really hard to pull for them because I was like, ah, oh, yay, go Cox, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so it was kind of tough to do that. Like there's a few times I would, you know, the guys would come to my house or something like that, and they're like, what is that? And they'd see, like, my Clemson T-shirts, and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's my Christian T-shirt. Don't worry about it. So uh, it, was, uh, it was a great time of ministry. It was just, it was really awesome. Um, in 2007, uh, our oldest son, uh, Jason, was born. If you have it, that'd be great. Um, our oldest son, Jason, he's the one on the right with the hoodie on. Uh, he was born, he's four years old now. And uh, in 2009, our youngest, Miles, he was born. He is a handful. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, in 2008, uh, at our church, our pastor was, he's just, you know, at the beginning of the year, he was just saying, he was challenging the church, challenging the body. He was like, what do you want to do? Um, he just challenged us to say, anytime, anywhere, uh, any place, uh, Lord, I will go. Anything, do anything, Lord, I will go. And uh, God has just really been stirring in my heart to do something else, to do something that wasn't just uh, college ministry. And uh, so for the next about four months, I was just praying, God, what do you want me to do? God, anywhere, anytime, anything, Lord, I'll do it. And I was on my way to work. Um, at this time, I had already, we had stopped working with Athletes in Action. I was working full-time for my dad doing furniture reupholstery. And uh, so I was on my way to work uh, one day, and I was like, God, what do you want me to do? I was like, God, I'll do anything. God, I'll even do middle school ministry if that's what you want me to do. And uh, <laughs> so that's just what I said. Just kind of threw it out there. Uh, that night, uh, after we put Jason down um, for bed and everything like that, uh, my wife, she was like, uh, Davon, just want you to know that there is a position available at a, at a church, at Fellowship Bible Church, for their middle school youth pastor. And I was like, let me tell you about my conversation with God this morning. So uh, we just talked about it, and I, I got a hold of them. Their, their pastor is Crawford Loritz. He's also uh, used to work with uh, Campus Crusade. So I was like, I know he's a great guy. I've heard him speaking on the radio and all that kind of stuff. So I went down there, applied for the job. Uh, obviously, because I'm here, I didn't get it. 
Um, but it was really good. I, I prayed. I was like, God, if this is really what you want me to do, confirm in my heart that this is where you want me to go, that you want my life to go toward middle school ministry. And over that weekend, after speaking and after having nine interviews, uh, God just solidified in my heart, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to be. So um, like I said, I didn't get the job, but two weeks later at our church in South Carolina, um, they started a middle school ministry. And so my wife and I were like, hey, let's jump into it. So we jumped right in and helped uh, move that ministry forward and, and get it started. We went from seven students to 70 students within a year because those kids were hungry for, to hear the gospel. Those kids were hungry to feel like we are important. And um, then two years later after that, uh, I got a call from Chris Burns here. And uh, he was like, hey, Davon, I, uh, I know that you're working with college students uh, but God has laid you on my heart to, to tell you about this ministry that we have here called The Bricks. And I was like, well, actually, I've been working with middle school students for the past two years. And uh, we could just kind of, I shared my heart with him. And he was like, come check us out. Come see what we do. And so I showed up and there was 481 students here. And uh, every one of them had a smile on their face and everything like that. And I saw the building and I was like, this is something I could do. I was like, this is fantastic. And so um, here I am. I'm here now. And uh, I love it. It is, it is great. And one of the reasons why I love it is because, one, I love working with, love working with those students. Um, we have two weeks of the bricks left, and I'm excited about what God is going to be doing next year. I'm constantly trying to figure out, God, how can we not just make this ministry better, but how can we make this ministry more effective to reach uh, church and unchurched students, our covenant and our community students? And um, and one of the things is, because like I said, Athletes in Action was so great, but when I was working with Athletes in Action, we would teach them things, and they would have blank looks on their faces because they just never heard these stories before. They'd never heard of what God was doing, what God could do. And I was like, man, if they had just known this or heard this in middle school, it would have saved them so much heartache now. And so, that, again, that's one of the reasons why I love working with, uh, with middle school students. That was when I felt called to go into ministry. That was when my wife had gotten saved. And I hear so many stories of, student, of adults saying, yeah, in middle school, in middle school, in middle school. And so, like I said, I love working here at The Bricks. It is fantastic. It's a very unique ministry. Uh, students that will never come here on Sunday come literally running through the door on a Friday night because they want to be here in a church. Um, and so that is, it is fantastic. Um, I love to see kids that don't know the Lord. I love to see them that, to begin to doubt their unbelief. I love to see the kids that are here at this church um, coming inside and they're like, I, I need to make this faith my own. My parents' faith isn't going to save me. I need, to, I need to figure this out for myself. I need to make Jesus my Savior, my Lord. Um, I love this fact that we've had, uh, we started something called community groups to, or connection groups to get students from the bricks and move them over into the church and give them a chance to hear about who Jesus is in a small group setting. And we had five of those students go from a community group last year to a discipleship group this year. I had one student uh, that I personally had the opportunity and uh, the privilege to lead to the Lord. He was in my discipleship group this, um, this year. Um, we had two, we, this, is the, this year we've had the most sixth graders ever from PCS come to the bricks. And we had two of them come to know the Lord, and now they are my sisters in Christ over this past year. God is doing some amazing things 
in this ministry. Um, outside looking in, you see a ton of students that are running around and going crazy and having a good time. But from our perspective, we're able to get a chance to know these students and see these students and see what God is doing. We've seen uh, Bricks Live. Uh, we've seen it, you know, a, a ton of kids in here making noise to a ton of ki- kids in here listening to me or to someone else on the stage speaking. And they're, they're, they're looking, they're focused, they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the good news of Christ. So my challenge to you, I always like to give a challenge when I speak. Um, my challenge to you is if you haven't begun praying for this ministry, please begin praying for this ministry because we need prayer. Our, us as a staff, we need your prayers. Those of us who are leaders and who are volunteering here at the Bricks, we need your prayers. The students that are coming here, uh, those that are uh, from our church, the Covenant students, and for those that are from within our community, they need your prayers because they need to hear the gospel, and that needs to change. If they already know the Lord, they need to take that step out and say, okay, now I'm going to live out and share out my faith here at church in a safe place. And also pray this. If you, if you, don't, if you haven't even considered working at the bricks or helping out at the bricks at all, Ask God how you can be involved with the bricks. And again, it could be just praying. It could be you telling other people about it or you yourself coming. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can email me, call me, or something like that. But thank you. Thanks, Devon. That, that's a dangerous prayer, right? Lord, I'll do anything. A lot of people think middle school might be purgatory to some degree or another. But it's not. So. Um, Dave Long's awesome guy. Definitely, you know, if you have questions, like he said, please call. I and mean, part of the reason, again, that we, we want you guys to know the staff is so it kind of lowers that barrier so you feel comfortable. Hey, I have a question about the bricks, or Dave Long would love to meet with you, have coffee, talk about it, concerns, you know, or how to get involved, things like that. It's an incredible opportunity that we have at this church, as he said, um, for outreach to our community and for a training ground for our kids. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great, great opportunity that we have. Um, okay, so let's transition now and move to uh, today's the, kind of the main topic that we want to discuss. Um, first, I just want to kind of brainstorm a little bit and hear from you all about what are your greatest fears? What are your biggest fears for your kids? And um, Ashley's going to be back there just typing away because I, you couldn't read my writing even if I, even if I had a whiteboard. It, you, be kind of rough. So what are our fears that we have for our children? Somebody just shout one out. Okay, they fall in with the wrong crowd. That could definitely be something that could happen. What else? Yes. Okay, that they won't love the Lord. Other things? Is that it? You guys are a pretty brave crew. You don't have anything else. Okay, that they'll learn things the hard way. What else? Okay, that the world defines who they are or who they're going to be. Yeah. Okay, that they, are, that they become drug addicts or sex addicts or they lose their purity, right? That's a fear. Or they become alcoholics related to the whole drug addict thing. What else? <laughs> that they'll never move out. Yeah, that's becoming more and more of a fear these days, isn't it? Um, yeah, yes. Okay, that things of the world are satisfying. Well, and that's tough because things Satan's pretty good at his packaging, right? He's a really good marketer. So the things of the world 
are fun to a degree, right? That's why they're so enticing. If they were all awful, it wouldn't be bad. Yeah. Okay. The peer pressure would lead to the wrong choices. Actually, it's a little slower than I thought back there. She says it's not her fault. Well, I think we got... That's okay. It's, it's the Mac that's the problem. Um, <laughs> that, our child, <laughs> that our children would like Mac more than PCs or the other way around, right? That's one of our biggest fears. Um, well... I mean, this is a pretty good list. I mean, one thing that we could have put in there was that your child becomes homosexual. That, that could have been in there. Um, that there there's, uh, your child could be abused in some way. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of other things we could have listed for sure. I think, though, and what I want to talk about today is, well, one thing, before I even move into it, one thing that, that didn't make the list, which I think is interesting, None of us said that my child would become a Pharisee. Now think about that for a minute. Most of us, if our kids were Pharisees, would be pretty happy about that. For a while anyway, or maybe forever, because we're pretty comfortable with Pharisees. Um, it's, It's just an interesting thing to ask yourself, and to think about, because Pharisee kids fly under the radar. Pharisee kids obey the rules. In fact, they're all about the rules. And as parents, we really like that. Um, I have one of my kids, uh, Jace is my second child. He's 10, about to turn 11. And he has a, just a serious heart for justice. <laughs> And righteousness. Injustice makes him go crazy. Um, and in fact, he has to be the one who deals out justice with his little brothers and sisters, which is not always a good thing, right? But I can tell with Jace specifically, I'm a little worried that right now he's, he's headed that way. And now he's at the age appropriate level where, you know, most of us, if you're a covenant, if you have covenant kids, they're, they're going to be good Pharisees if they've grown up in the church and they know all the Bible stories and they know all the rules. In junior high, that is a pretty normal thing. Um, and, that, and that's going to have to change, you know, as they, as they get older. And it usually changes in high school because they realize they cannot live up to their own list of rules. So that's when it changes for a lot of us. Think about your own story. If some of you were covenant kids and if you were Pharisee, I was a, I'm a reformed Pharisee, okay? I was a big Pharisee in high school. And... Part of what happened to me was I got in the military and I was really, the world was enticing. Whoever said that before, right? The world was a very enticing place. And I could not keep up with my list of things that I knew I was supposed to do. And I didn't really understand grace. Okay? So this is something that you've got to be on the lookout for. Um, If you read through the Gospels, I mean, just take some time and read through it. Jesus is the hardest on the Pharisees. And yet none of us are concerned about it or looking out for it or worried about it. And those are the ones he's hardest on. The prodigal son, the story, it's called the prodigal son, but it should be called the story of the older brother. If you read it in context, the entire story is about the older brother. He's talking to the Pharisees about how awful they are and they don't even know it. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because when you're a Pharisee, you don't even know it most of the time. Okay? So how do you find out or know it? Um... 
One thing, one way is, do you care or do they care more about being love about being right than about being loving? Is it more important that they are right than that they are loving? This is a good question for us to ask ourselves, by the way. All of this works with us as we look in the mirror and say, do I want to be right more than I want to be loving? That's, I think, is a, not always a good Pharisee test, but it is a good test, okay, that we can ask ourselves. Um, another question you might want to ask is, do they show love or compassion for a sinner? I think that's a good Pharisee test. And the reason I can, I can own that one so much is I can remember me in high school, and I would be at youth group and looking at people that I knew were at a party on Friday night. And let me tell you, there was no love or compassion in me because I was thinking, I am so much more righteous than them. I can't even believe them. And yet Jesus uses that same example. Why that's so profound and powerful to me, right? Jesus, the Pharisee praying on the street corner, Lord, thank you that I am not like, right? That I'm not like that sinner who's over there. That's exactly the prayer of the Pharisee. And yet I was right there. Um, So these are tests uh, that you can do and that you can think through. If you really want to investigate this, again, I think I've mentioned this book in here before, but I would read Tim Keller's book uh, called Prodigal God. And it's it's basically, I think, a sermon series he did on the prodigal son that then he put into a book. It is just a nice, it's a little book. You can read it in about five hours. It is probably one of the most profound books on this idea. If you're worried that you're raising a prodigal or that you, I mean, that you're, that you're raising a Pharisee or that you are a Pharisee, read the book because it's, it's amazing. Um, it's just a great little quick read, but it, it's, it's very powerful. If you have your kids in private Christian school or homeschool, I would definitely read this book, okay? Because that is just, it's an environment that we have, and my kids are in private school and I've homeschooled, so I feel like I can say this, okay? It's just the environment that you tend to be in is, uh, it, it develops older brothers in a lot of ways. That's one of the unintended consequences. There's great things about Christian education and great things about homeschooling, but it can feed that track that you're on, okay? So uh, please read that um, I'm sorry, what was it called? Prodigal, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Let's see. It's, um, now, as we get into this idea then, that's really kind of an aside because I really want to talk about faith transference because that first one of the first ones that we put up on the board was that they won't love the Lord. And that should be, I think, of all the things that we mentioned, that should be the highest thing, right? It should be the most important thing is do our children love God? And are they going to be God lovers? And how can we make that happen? And that is the hardest part, is because you and I really want to make that happen. And we don't have the power to make that happen, unfortunately. Um, But yet, I think a lot of parents, myself included, we carry guilt about everything that we do wrong, we can take credit when our kids turn out fantastic, and we can feel incredibly guilty when they, when they mess up, whether that's a, a, a faith issue or not. But we just don't have that much power. And so part of what I want to talk about is just trying to dis, you know, get rid of this idea that we can take the credit or the blame entirely. 
Um, in Romans 9, there's this scripture that I think is a major truth that's good for all of us to keep in mind. Romans 9, starting in verse 10, it should be on the screen. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So verse 16 is the, is the, the, the pivotal. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Look at verse 16 again, and let's put the word parent in for human. So then it depends not on a parent's will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Okay. Um, I think it's important that we keep that in mind, that we remember, because I think a lot of us are struggling. We see kids who grow up and they are good rule followers, and then when their heart starts to be revealed, they seem to veer, and we start to go, what did I do wrong? You might not have done anything wrong. Uh, in fact, you're going to do things wrong. I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to blow it on a regular basis with your kids. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, let's look at a couple more scriptures. John six forty four: no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a pretty powerful statement. No one can come to me. Now, maybe let's look at John 10. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice who's the giver of eternal life there. It's Jesus. He's the one who gives eternal life, and then no one can snatch them out of my hand. We, our theology says, once you're saved, you're always saved. So if you feel like your child is a believer, and then they suddenly veer into the, some area, well, then you have to ask yourself, okay, were they ever saved before? Once you're saved, you're, you're God's. He's not going to let you go, okay? So we have to ask that question. Uh, it's interesting, though, how Arminian theology works its way into our psyche. I was listening to The Fish this morning on, that's a Christian radio station, for those of you who don't know what that is, you know, The Fish. All right, I was listening to that this morning, and um, in between the seven Laura Story songs that they play regularly. No, I'm just kidding. I love hearing Laura on there. But in, in, in between that, a guy came on and he was talking about the butterfly effect. I don't know if any of you heard that this morning. Did anybody? I was just so blown away. Does anybody know what the butterfly effect is? Some of you science fiction wizards want to tell me what that is? You're shaking your head there, John. What does that mean? Well, scientifically, as I understand it, and I'll give you, I could be totally wrong, but what I understand is, is basically that a butterfly flaps its wings, you know, in the desert in Africa, and we end up with a hurricane, that there's a, there's a cause that may seem small and insignificant, but every cause has an effect, okay, that is, can be astronomical. And what was crazy to me is the guy in this, on the fish this morning, some famous author, I, don't, I didn't hear it at the beginning, I just was kind of listening, barely listening until he started going down this road. And he said, yeah, this was this crazy idea in science fiction and movies and stuff, and then, but then scientists really studied it and found out it's true. And they backed it up, and now it's a scientific law. 
And then what his point was in sharing this little story on Sunday morning as I was trying to prepare myself for worship was that everything you and I do counts. That was the point he was trying to make. Everything you and I do counts and it has an effect and it, you know, and it, uh, and it, it's going to achieve something or, but see what he didn't go into is the negative. Like if he really believes that, then everything you don't do has a cause and effect, right? And then if you, oh, you forgot to have the quiet time with your child tonight and now they're not a believer. Okay. Because you blew it. You missed your chance. And you know what? That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because what is the scripture that we just said? No one comes to me unless the father draws him. It doesn't say no one comes to me unless his dad really screws up or yells at him at dinner or anything like that. The one who owns our kids' hearts in his hand is the king of the universe. And we have to remember that he is the one who draws our children, okay? And so that is something that we have to keep in mind. Um, and it'll scare you. If you start reading like Barna books or whatever, you're going to be terrified. Uh, Barna is a, is a guy who does research on Christians primarily, but he's a statistician, and I can't stand his books because he always, it's always the gloom and doom and Everyone's going to hell, and all, we've lost this generation. And when you read some of those books, keep in mind, they come from a different theological point of view than we do. Because my God sits on the throne, and he's not up there wringing his hands, going, boy, America's just going to pot. He's not doing that. He could pour out his spirit right now, and the third great awakening could happen. Okay, And it can happen in your own life and in your own home. He's not up there wringing his hands because of... of Pop culture is just so scary. It's not a surprise to him. It's not as bad as it's been before. We haven't started feeding people to the lions yet, right? So it's not as bad as it could be. Um, again, part of what you want to be doing now is you want to be giving your kids freedom to reveal the heart. Where is their weakness? Teaching them to rely on God. You have to give them enough freedom that you can start to see what is going on in their lives. Are they a Pharisee and they're just hiding pretty good behind the rules? Put them in situations where they have to own their faith and they have to rely on God. Again, that's a major theme that you're going to hear from me if you keep coming to Parent You. It's going to be this over and over again. If we protect our kids so much that you don't know what's really going on in their heart, then you don't know what's really going on in their heart. Um, would you rather have a rough two years of high school or know that your child's 500 miles away at some university and they're in total rebellion and you, have, you don't even know what's going on? You don't even know what they're doing. See, I think if I'm honest, a part of me would rather have them be at college really having a rebellious time and me just to be able to tell myself that I, oh, well, that's probably okay. I would, a part of me would rather have that. I have to be honest with you because it's hard to have them in your home and be confronted with their sin on a regular basis. And another reason it's so hard is because then it makes us sin on a regular basis. And it's really hard on us. And God uses them to chisel and shape who we are. And that's hard. If they're off at school having this horrible, rebellious experience, that doesn't really shape us as much. I mean, we're, we're fearful, and, and there's this unknown thing going on. But 
it's harder sometimes to be confronted with it in your own home because it shapes you and me. It makes us rely on God. God uses it to build our faith. Have, you, have we ever considered that maybe he allows our kids to go into this rebellion because of something he's doing in you and in them? He might be using that in both of our lives in order to shape us into who he wants us to be. So what do we control? What are we supposed to be doing? Okay, if we can't make them Christians, what, what can't we do? All right, there's a few things. First thing, of course, is to pray. Pray. I think it's, I don't know about in your life, it's one of the most underused powers that believers have. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God uses our prayers as a means of grace to work in people's lives. I don't understand it. It's mysterious to me to know that God uses my prayers to bring salvation and to do things in the lives of people, but he does. That's what scripture teaches. So we can and should pray for our kids regularly and pray specifically Pray about salvation. Pray for a, a purity, a sexual purity. Pray for deliverance from drugs and alcohol. Pray for these things. We've got to regularly lift them up in prayer. Train and instruct them, right? We're supposed to do that. The Bible does say that. It's not that we're completely powerless in everything that we do. We don't control whether they become believers or not, but the scripture in Proverbs 22 says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Most of you are aware of this scripture. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I really think it's interesting though that this is the verse that we always use. And it again can lead us into this, okay, so if I train them right, they're gonna be a Christian. But you know, this comes from the wisdom literature. He doesn't say train up your child in the way he should go and when he is old, he'll become a Christian or he'll be a believer. It doesn't say that. He's really talking about all kinds of training that we do as parents, right? There's lots of things that we train and instruct in how to use money and wisdom and how to treat women and how to, how to react to men and relationships. And how, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we're training our kids in regular wisdom. And it may not guarantee salvation, but it's there and it is something that we're going to do. Um, Ephesians 6, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to teach about the Lord and bring them up in discipline and instruction. And that is a part of how we transfer our faith from them, right? We want to teach them the Bible stories. We want to show them these things. These are good things. And of course, we want to be involved in that. Now, the last thing is that I want to point out, and there may be more that we can do. These are the ones that I feel like the Lord has revealed to me through scripture to share today. The last one, though, this verse, I don't have it memorized, but I'm going to because I think it's so powerful. Um, let's look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I think, again, a lot of us understand this first part. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, think about that. Are you, and then look at the, at the end of this passage where he says, do everything in the name of the Lord. If you're doing everything in the name of the Lord and the word of God dwells in you richly, you are going to instruct your kids as you rise up, as you lay down, as you walk along the road, as you sit at home, because it just is going to flow out of you. 
you are going to be filled with the word. And as your kids are interacting with you and the things that they watch or the things that they hear or the things that they do or the things that you do, you're going to instruct them. If I, if I yell at my children or I get in a fight with my wife in front of them or yell at a driver, driving them to school, and the word of God dwells in me richly, then a part of what's going to happen is I'm going to say, okay, you know what? That was wrong. And let me tell you why it was wrong. Because the person that I just cursed, who's dry, who just cut me off, or who didn't go through the light when I wanted them to or whatever, is made in the image of God. And I'm not supposed to curse them because they're an image bearer of God, whether they're a believer or not. And that's, that's how the word dwells in me richly. Okay, but here's the, listen to this though. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching it and admonishing, right? We get that. I've already mentioned that. We're going to instruct them. We're going to correct them. We all understand that as parents. This is the last one though. And as you sing, it says in the NIV, as you sing, in this one it says singing. You can still say what we're supposed to do is let the word dwell in you, teaching, admonishing, and singing. I think the last one is the one that I'm most concerned about for us is because a lot of us are not living victorious Christian lives. We don't enjoy the Lord. If we don't enjoy the Lord and our relationship with God, that is like the main, you are the biggest billboard. I mean, every statistic says that parents are the biggest influencers in whether their kids, you know, in, in their kids' wisdom and as they grow and what they believe and all of these things. You are the biggest influencer because you are the billboard. You're the consistent thing in their life that has been saying, hey, this is it. And if they look at you and they see joy, joy, because do they catch you singing? That's what, I, that's what I want to bring out. That's like the most important thing. Do they catch you singing? And you may not be a singer. I don't mean that. I just mean, you know, do you understand what I'm getting at? Do they catch you having your quiet time? I'm not saying that you need to be doing family devotions or you know, and do it like that. If you do that, that's great. But do they catch you enjoying the Lord on a regular basis? And this is a hard question for us. Are we enjoying the Lord? Last thing, because I know we got to get out of here because the worship team's got to get in. Are, as we do this, um, are we doing it authentically? Um, are we authentic in our relationship? As we share with them, as we teach, as we instruct, are we sharing? There's a, there's a picture. My daughter drew this for me. Uh, this is what I think is ineffective sharing. A lot of us view discipleship with kids like this. I have Bible knowledge in my head. Bible knowledge in my head needs to go to Bible knowledge in my child's head, and that's discipleship. And it's really easy for us to get in that mode, okay? Bible knowledge to Bible knowledge. Now, the next slide is what I think is more effective. We have to take what we know about God, and it has to be filtered through the broken world and our broken experiences. And as it gets filtered through that, hey, you know what? The world is a messy place. Then to them, it makes sense. Because when we just say this is what it is, and they go, well, wait a second, but the world is really messed up and broken, and they have a hard time filtering that. We've got to be authentic as we share. You need to share through your own story. You need to share through what's happening, because like I said earlier, you are going to mess up. 
You're going you're gonna to call your kids things you shouldn't, or you're going to yell at them when you shouldn't, or you're gonna, when they're little, you're going to spank them when they shouldn't. You're going to do all kinds of things. You're going to be uh, totalitarian in your own home sometimes, right? You're going to want them to follow the rules. You're going to not show grace. You're going to do all these things. And so when you mess up, part of this, this joy and this authenticity is that we have to go to them and go, I messed up too. I'm a sinner too. I don't meet God's standards either. And we have to be the primary dispensers of grace in their lives. And that's hard because you want an ordered home, right? You want them (laughs) to do what you say when you say it and follow the rules and fit your structure. And we don't do that with God. And God doesn't expect that of us because we can't. Jesus can. And we have to be constantly pouring grace into our kids' lives and do it in a way that's authentic and that's real. Um, We're out of time today, and that's okay, because God's on the throne. And he knows how much time we have, and the worship team needs to get in here. So I'm going to pray, and we will not have Parent U uh, for the next two months. In May, it it hits right on the three-day holiday. In June, we are ramping up for Gold Rush big time, and a lot of people are out on vacation. Parent, you will return in July, at the last Sunday in July, and that'll be in the parent email and things like that, reminding you of that. And um, we don't know if it'll be in here. There's some changes going on in ministry and different things, so we might change locations, and we're looking for that. So you can be praying about a good location for Parent U. Maybe it'll be in the fellowship hall or the gym or somewhere else. So pray for that. It might be in here. We'll see what happens. Um, But look for it in July. All right, let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. And Lord, we know that we cannot make our kids Christians. And we don't have that much power. We don't have that much responsibility. And I thank you that, Lord, when a a butterfly flaps its wings, that you control the outcome of that. And we don't have to fear for things like that. Um, God, may you be at work in our lives. Pour your grace and mercy and love into us. Help us to teach the truth to ourselves over and over again and to model joy in our relationship with you to our kids. And Lord, fill us with joy and peace and love, which can only come from your power and your spirit. All these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the Student Ministries website at www.perimeter.org slash students for more information. Thank you.